Hello, everybody. Hello. Welcome to the film room. A very special film room. It's the first of many guest casts in a row. Yeah, we've got a long set of those coming. Yeah. And our first guest of the year is Mrs. Amanda Shin. Hello. It's also special because it's the first time we've had a Patreon uh, supporter on to talk about the film that they've chosen. Yeah, we've never gotten to do that. Yeah. I feel special. She is special. You do kind of get priority there. Yay! (laughs) This is a special cast because this is the first time since we've announced that um, we are having a girl. Yeah, true. So Very wonderful. Congratulations, both of you. that That is the best news. I think so. So anyway, let's get down to brass tacks. Let's start talking about the movie that we've got uh, today, because uh, this was Amanda's choice. And Amanda, why don't I ask you, why did you choose uh, the movie that we're going to be doing today, The Fifth Element? A couple of different reasons. Um, First reason, I wanted to pick something interesting, um, something that I thought would be fun. Um, I also wanted to pick something that I thought would fit the cast. And maybe I'm wrong, but I think this movie does. You guys discuss a lot of, like, weird, fun things. And this, to me, in my opinion, this movie is better than some of the other weird, fun things that you guys talk about sometimes. So, And then it's also just a personal favorite of mine. I was really young when I watched it for the first time and loved it, have seen it probably at least a hundred times. So those are the reasons. I would agree with all of those points. We actually have discussed it briefly, yeah, like very, very briefly. So it's uh, it'll be fun to go in in depth. Yeah, because this is one that uh, I certainly saw in theaters. Um, fun trivia about this movie: this was the first uh, uh, boobs in theater. Austin, were you mentioning these were your first theater boobs from this movie? Yes, I did. I did, in fact, say that. I thought that's what you said. <laughs> oh, yeah. We were not going to be overlooking that point. I said what I said, and I wanted to be sure to bring it up. And that's... <laughs> I, was th- I was 13, guys. <laughs> so momentous for you, then. You're a, red, yes. you're a red-blooded male American. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing. This movie is basically designed to appeal to the id of a 13-year-old boy. Yeah, it kind of is, yeah. I could definitely see that. It it, it, it really and truly is. Uh, yeah, uh, did you rewatch this one for the cast, Al? I didn't, but I have wa- I have seen it uh, recently. I, I, I did rewatch it recently, just... Just because. Like, I rewatched it twice in a row, in fact. Oh, that's awesome. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a super fun. It's, uh, this was one that, uh, was popular when I was in high school. Like, all of my friends loved it. And at the time, I was just, I was like, eh, it's okay. To which I voiced that opinion, to which one of my friends went, blasphemy. <laughs> what do you mean it's just okay? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And as I've as I've gotten older and uh, now I'm now I'm leaving my twenties, I have actually grown to appreciate it a lot more for its you know for just how insane it is, and for just how uh, it's actually a really tight film. 
I mean, it does not, uh, for as much weirdness that's present, it does not waste any time. I was going to say that I had like a slightly different experience of it, at least in my earlier watches of it, just because I was eight when this movie came out. And so as an eight-year-old, the weirdness wasn't all that weird to me. Like when I, th I mean, as I watch it and as an adult now, I'm like, wow, this movie is so freaking weird. <laughs> but when I was a kid, it really wasn't. Like everything that happened in it seemed totally normal to me. And only now am I realizing that, which is kind of strange. But all the all the strange things, I was just like, yeah, I mean, it's the future, whatever. That that could totally be the way things are in the future. No big deal. Yeah, you just. Yeah, that's you make a good point. It does, um, you know, it's kind of the reason why cartoons appeal to younger kids more because you know they just kids accept things more readily. Right. And, and, I, and I agree completely, uh, actually, with Amanda because I had the same reaction as I was watching it the other night. I was like, "Wow, a major studio distributed this in America and didn't try to bury it under the rug. This was actually a major summer movie for Sony." Because it is so weird. But yeah, at 13, it didn't feel as weird as it does at 32, if that makes any sense at all. But but you're right. You just kind of accept it when you're younger. But as an adult, you look at it and you're like, wow, this is strange. Yeah. But also in a good way. Oh, in the best way. Like, it's very, it's very clever. It's very well, it's very well done. Uh, it's, it's fun. It is that. It's exhilarating fun. I mean, you just, like, you're just on the edge of your seat for what comes next. And because it's so strange, you just don't know what is going to come next. Um, one of the things that, like, also I think makes it so palatably weird, and I think, Amanda, I think this might go to your point even more, is that everything feels kind of grungy and lived in. And when you're a kid, that shorthand does speak to you subconsciously. Like, in a does that make sense? Well, it's kind of like the point that you were making when we were watching it. Um, we, you know, we discussed it when we rewatched it together. And Austin's like, if you want to make all this, you know, futuristic looking technology, it's all beat up looking and greasy. And like people have actually been using it and it just makes you right. more, it makes it a lot easier to accept that like this is a real thing and this is a part of that world and it's normal. Yeah, that's true. Like nothing is, uh, uh, nothing is really like sleek and shiny and polished. Yeah. Like his apartment has uh, all this cool future technology, but it's all beat up. And also, the characters don't stand around and stare at it in awe. They're just kind of bored by it. Uh, yeah. Which, hey, we're in the future. Technically, we have all this cool. It's like, it's like. Louis C.K. says, you know, everything is awesome and nobody's happy. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I'm doing this on a smartphone right now. I'm participating in a conversation with uh, a guy in Kansas City, Missouri, and my wife in another room. And this is run-of-the-mill for me. I mean, you and I talk every single week across the state lines and distribute it worldwide. Mm-hmm. No big deal. It's just what we do. So, right. yeah, that's there in the movie Big Time. Uh, God, this this could be a hard... This is one where I, I think we get, there's almost a question of where do you start with this movie in terms of, like, going into plot and such, because it has a simple plot and a really bizarre kind of complex... Yeah. 
I think it's I think it's uh, it's Luke Besson's original story, isn't it? Yeah, it was Besson wrote the story when he was a teenager. Gee, go <laughs> figure. Appropriate. And uh, he co-wrote the script with Robert Mark Kamen, who was his uh, writing partner. And bizarrely enough, okay, they did this script, and then they did the absolute genericness that was Taken. Hmm. I did not know they did Taken. And the fir- at least the first two Transporter movies, I think they wrote all three, actually. And maybe even the reboot, I don't know. Hmm. I mean, I ducked out of the Transporter series at uh, two. Yeah, I'm not familiar with those. Well, I'm sort of familiar with the concept of those, but yeah, I can kind of see that those are the same people. Yeah. Yeah, they've done a lot of generic stuff. That's my point. Uh, and they're very much... Their movies are tend to be very... Of course, at the same time, Bassan also did Lucy, which I didn't see. Amanda, I know you did see that. I did, and uh, it, it was enjoyable. It wasn't... Um... I don't want to call it bad. I also don't want to call it good, though. <laughs> I liked it. <laughs> okay, not great. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I know that it was a. I know that it was a, at least him going at least a little back, bit more back towards the weird, at least. Oh yeah, it was very uh, unique and different, which was the part about it that I liked so much. This movie be- begins in 1914, which seems like a logical place for a future story. <laughs> yeah. Because, uh, like, it begins in 1914 uh, with uh, a sequence in which a group of turtle-like aliens show up to discuss a prophecy, and there's Luke Perry in that scene, and, man, the opening of this... and there, this, the opening of this movie is really, really weird. Yeah, and it's. And I think it's pretty well set up that these are these are benevolent aliens. Yes. Yeah, like they're they're peaceful, and uh, yeah, not here to do us any harm. They just kind of want to share their knowledge. This is going to be a weird parallel to draw, but the beginning of this movie kind of reminds me of the beginning of The Exorcist. You know, at the beginning of The Exorcist, there's that, like, desert scene that they never really go back to, but it's oh, totally yeah. Im- it's totally important to the plot and everything else that really, to explain the movie, but it's totally separate and aside from the movie. I feel like that's the way the opening to this movie is as well, especially since it's in the desert. Yeah, you're that's right. True. And actually, it, it kind of feels like a fever dream of someone saw The Exorcist and was inspired by that scene. And just sort of extrapolated from that and uh, made their own very strange fever conclusion. Right. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. It did remind me of that. I mean, again, there's that weirdness of... And actually, they do go back to that. Um, They do go back to Egypt at the end of the movie, actually. True. So it's not wholly unimportant, but it's still very much just this scene... That serves to just basically set up that, well, there's these aliens, they've given their knowledge to humanity, and then the movie jumps forward in what is probably its biggest goof period, because they say it's going to be 300 years. Did anybody take note of what year the movie is actually set in? Uh, 5,000, if I remember right. It's 2263. 2263. So it's more like 250 years later. Nice. Yeah, and it's only given away in, like, a, a brief line or something. I was going to say, I, in all my times that I've watched it, I never picked up on the uh, specific year. 
Yeah, I mean, I, although it does credit it as 300 years later, and honestly, I don't really care that that's uh, a glitch. I mean, as I said, I think it's only mentioned like once, and you, and it may even be like on a monitor or something. Yeah, just like just like a little tidbit. I can overlook it. I can overlook it. And that's when we jump into the future, and you've got all of a sudden this big black void has come into existence. And when uh, people shoot at the void, it consumes them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, again, trying to describe this movie in just like the bare story is just... Yeah, I don't, I don't know that I want to keep trying to do that. <laughs> One thing we can do is talk about the characters. Yeah. <laughs> it's much easier to talk about that. Yeah. Because that's really the interesting part of it. This is one of those movies where, honestly, like, and I felt like this is how I watched it as a kid. I didn't care so much about the story, I, but I always, like, I love the characters, you know? And I got to know each of them really well. And I didn't really care what they were doing in the grand scheme of things. I just liked whatever they were saying at that moment. Yeah, I agree with you completely. And, I, and it's one of those things, because the characters are doing such a basic, simple task you know it's very much a point a to point b to point c story you're right uh you're right about that completely in terms of the characters let's start with the title character because i she really did become quite an icon in uh, the sci-fi genre didn't she yeah lilu something cool that i learned as i was uh, doing research for this was apparently she worked on the uh, languages like the sacred language that she speaks, mm -hmm. she actually helped create that because she really? speaks. Yeah, because she speaks four languages. That's amazing. Her character is, of course, really, I think when people think about the character, they think about that whole look that she had, which was so wonderfully out there and has been mimicked multiple times in pop culture. Uh, it got referenced on an episode of The Office once, actually. <laughs> yeah. I um, was going to say, during my college years, I can't tell you how many people at Halloween parties I've seen in the Lilu getup, in the white bandages, in the orange short wig. <laughs> it's pretty recognizable. Yeah. I imagine that would be a very hard costume to pull off. You need to be very careful with it. Yeah. I, mean, I was going to say, other than, like, college Halloween parties, probably not appropriate anywhere else. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but you have our free, but you have my permission to try it for work next year. <laughs> not that brave. No. Well, maybe I'll try it. <laughs> you could do a couple's costume. Uh, you can be, <clears throat> Austin can be uh, uh, Bruce Willis. You can pull off Bruce Willis, Austin. I think you can. I could do it. I could do it. I Little Corbin it. Dallas. Yeah, I, I could do it. I, I mean, one one of the things that's kind of cool is uh, if you notice throughout the movie, aside from the end, he's wearing orange throughout the movie. By the way, true. I noticed that on the second view on uh, my recent viewings. What my second? God, it was umpteenth. <laughs> but yeah, I noticed that when I rewatched it recently. You're so good at picking up those small details because the only thing I can remember him wearing through the whole movie is when he wears the tux uh, when they're in Boston. Yeah. He looks so uncomfortable in that tux. Until, of course, the tux gets all, like, shredded and disheveled in the action scene and then he looks totally at home. Yeah. 
<laughs> that sequence is so great because you can tell Willis is having the time of his life on this movie. Yeah, because he's one of those actors who's notorious for not enjoying doing them. So it was so much fun to watch him actually having fun on that. But yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, with... But, see, honey, what did I tell you about how a lot of this cast is tangents? <laughs> yeah. Tangents yeah, cast. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, getting back to Lulu, it's interesting because you because she's such a complicated concept of a character. Yeah. The idea of her is she's the she's like the ultimate warrior, the perfect human. She's the supreme. Yeah, she's almost godlike, like a supreme being. But she's also childlike at the same time, and I think that's kind of a. Amanda, you were saying something about how, because okay, you brought up a point of mine. I get to bring up a point of yours now. Go for it. You were pointing out that 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 in the end, that's kind of a little uncomfortable, actually. Well, it's like at the end, uh, in, like in the big climax, uh, she's learned about war and she's been shot at and she's all scared and nervous. And that is a little, it's not really quite the character we've seen to that point. Right. And it's a little off of what they build you up to. They do totally use the word warrior um, describing her. And I don't think that means that she's not allowed to be upset by all the horrible things that she learns about our world. And she's not so sure that she wants to even save it anymore. That, the emotion and the thought in that, I totally buy. But she's so weak at the end of the film. And that's my major critique of it. It doesn't, to me, fit with what they built her character up to be. And then me being the, I'm going to say a dirty word, the feminist that I am. Remember I'm like, which cast you're on. Oh, it's, like, it's not a dirty word here. <laughs> really, you know, but it, it, it kind of, and you know, this is something that I really only picked up on in this last time that we watched it, but Bruce Willis kind of has to save her at the end, and it kind of pissed me off a little bit. I was like, she can do that, though. She can do that on her own, but, you know... That that's a major critique I have of the film. Um, it's a little bit disappointing and disappointing for her character because she's so awesome. She's doing all this great stuff for the rest of the movie um, that I think is really wonderful. Um, for example, this seems silly, but I love it so much as characterization when she's initially trying to figure out where the diva is so they can get the stones. She's eating, and it's one of those great moments where you get to see the the fun future technology and she she eats like this whole huge plate of food and then she goes and puts this little pill like in a microwave type device and has this huge whole chicken and she's all chicken's good and eating you know like a monster that's and that's totally great characterization for her like she's strong ravenous you know warrior person that needs this fuel and I really like that scene a lot. So there's things like that that make me a little bit disappointed in where they go with her character at the end. I've I've often wondered if that wasn't maybe to a certain degree studio interference where it was like, hey, Bruce Willis is our lead on the poster, so he has to be the one to save the day. But also knowing where Luke Besson's tendencies lie, I feel it's probably a mix of both. 
Because he sure, he, he, th this isn't the first time he's tried stuff like this. But I think that probably with movies like Lucy, he's kind of started to go, gee, I mean, I, I think he probably feels some conflict over that is what it comes down to. I also know that it's obviously really important to him that he needs to get across the idea of love being the quote unquote, being what actually is the quote unquote title of the film. And I suppose that's what he was going for. But it just, maybe it's because the whole adding in, the whole learning about war thing was strange, but I don't know. One thing I can definitely say for sure is that Jovovich really, I don't know if she gets enough credit for how good she is in this movie. Yeah. Because she's really good in this movie. She's She sells it. Yeah. The, the fact that she helped create the language makes perfect sense to me because she talks it. Sometimes you can tell when people are talking a made-up language in a movie and they don't know what it means. But you can tell when she's speaking it that she knows exactly what she's saying. Yeah, she says it with such conviction. Yeah, very convincing. And rattles it off, too. It's not She doesn't slow down so that we can learn every word. She's just spewing it, and she doesn't care. I can think of two times in particular when she is first in the cab with Bruce Willis, and she's asking him for help. She's just going a mile a minute, and she's obviously extremely distraught. And then later, um, in the same scene where she eats, She's talking very casually um, to Father Cornelius, you know, in this, this language, and he understands her, you know, but she's she's very convincing in it. As, as I said, she, she's one of those actresses, I know notoriously on commentary tracks, apparently she is an absolute blast to have on. Apparently she's quite funny on those. I've heard that the Resident Evil commentary track is worth listening to, just to hear her running her mouth, apparently. Right. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, she's awesome in it. Well, uh, one of the characters I wanted to get to that uh, I think of immediately every time I hear the title of this movie is Ruby Rod. Oh, God, I'm so glad we're getting to him. I love Ruby Rod. How could you not? I know. <laughs> yes, I'm sure you're very excited, but I'm on my vacation. I don't want to be bothered. I prefer to remain anonymous. Let me explain. So many people hate him. Really? <laughs> yes. So many people hate Chris Tucker in this movie. Uh, well, so I feel like a lot of people hate Chris Tucker. Which I don't so. think is fair. No, not at all, no. I guess I could see where people might think that he could be slightly irritating. But and that's... Ruby Rod is irritating, but in the best way. He is the embodiment of all the weirdness in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, like he is, he is all of that concentrated into a person. 
<laughs> yeah, he is. I mean, he uh, he's irritating, but the movie sets him up as irritating. He's irritating in universe. Yeah, like you you, you look at all of Bruce Willis's, sorry Corbin's um, reactions to him. He's just like, I don't want to be here with you. You are not, <laughs> you are not the person I want to sit next to during this. Just shut the hell up. <laughs> I think it's a good to, <laughs> a good picture of like what we're supposed to think of general society in this future universe. Like all these vapid people, like this is the kind of media that they like. Right. You know, this like squalling super loud and in your face out there personality you know that's what everybody's into yeah just heavily heavily produced like on the fly like all this all the effects that the uh that he's getting backed by but guys let's be honest do you really think that if someone like that had a show in this world right now that it wouldn't at least have a cult following oh definitely i um I won't lie, I would watch the hell out of that. I would too. <laughs> I, I would too. Um, and something else that's really great about the character is he's very androgynous, but he's but unlike sometimes when you'll like have this character who's like very androgynous and gender fluid, he's also extremely sexual. Right, yeah. he's a, not just that, but he's like a sex symbol. Yeah. When people mention him, they're all, Ruby Rod, oh my god, he's so sexy. Yeah. In the brief scenes that we get where we see him making his moves, we buy it. She just faints. <laughs> that scene is so great. <laughs> That scene is so great, and Tucker just gives his all. Um, I'll point out one thing. This movie would not was rated PG-13 in 1997. <laughs> there was no way in hell this movie gets a PG-13 in 2016. Yeah, no way. No. Not with the, the explicit sexual content that you have with Ruby, especially with the um, gender fluidity thrown in there. I don't think it would fly as much today. One thing that I didn't really, I guess, I'm sure I caught it, but I didn't really think much of it, is there's the scene where they're uh, about to take off. Yeah. He's going down on a stewardess. Yes. Yeah, that would not get PG-13 today. Scenes like that are in NC-17s today. I mean, it's not explicit, it's all out of frame, but it's obvious what's going on. Right, and it's not like I want to. It's implied, yes, but implied almost isn't a strong enough word, you know. Right. <laughs> oh yeah, it's it's one of those. It's all in. It's all in the timing. It's all in the editing. It's all in where everything is placed. Right. Yeah, that it's just, in framing. Yeah, that just makes it so explicit. Especially because her reactions make it extremely clear what's going on. Yes. But but I love that that scene is in there. Because that's kind of an awesome thing to see this in this movie. That, as I said, it feels like it's of the id of a 13-year-old boy, but there's still a scene of a woman getting pleasure. True. And that's kind of awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, 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 that is kind of a cool thing to see. I mean, 
Yeah, Tucker, he's hilarious in this movie, and I'm sorry, I just, I, I really and truly, I always see him listed as examples of bad things in great movies, and I'm like, no. I think that specifically was a, a correct. That's what I'm thinking of, yeah. yeah. No, I just, I don't, I don't get it. In fact, I'm almost disappointed that he doesn't really show up in the movie until halfway through it. True. And I think he's, I, I think he serves so much. I mean, his character is much more than this, but he's such a foil to mm-hmm. Corbin, you know, and they put them, they juxtapose those two characters over and over and over again in their parts together. And it's very much like, oh, I'm Bruce Willis and I am the serious character in this movie, you know? Um, they play really well off of each other in the fact that they're very opposite. Yes. Ruby, hold this gun. What? Hold this gun. What do you want me to do? Come on, put your hand on it. Put your hand on it. Got it? Hold it. What would I do? If you move, squeeze the trigger. I don't feel right. I don't feel right, Kobe. Yes. And Willis benefits really well from a good foil. Um, he, he really does because Willis, when he's in a movie and he is just kind of there stone-faced and not really giving his all, it can be really frustrating. But again, in this one, he's doing the stone-faced thing, but he is at least giving his all, and that makes his reactions to Tucker all the more entertaining. Yeah. Because they're subtle. They range from subtle to very overt, but his reactions are just hysterical. When they're, um, when Ruby is first interviewing him, when they first get on the ship. Yeah. And, and Ruby's just like, oh, blah, 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 great. How are you feeling? And he's like, great. Great. <laughs> every, every answer he gives is a monotone one word answer, you know? And even after the interview, I think he's like, could you please act like you have more of a vocabulary next time? Yes. And I love that uh, all the sound drops uh, when when they go to his responses. So it's just a boom, chicka, boom, boom, boom. And then, what do you think? It's great. Yes. <laughs> yes. It absolutely plays that way. I mean... It fits. <laughs> again, this is such a weird movie. I mean... As I said, I mean, I, I do love that, that they do that with this movie. Because, um, I don't know, I mean, and, and all, by the way, the costumes in this movie, we can't show them. Sadly, we don't get to include any visual clips of them. But, man, the costumes in this movie are a joy to look at. Mm-hmm. Especially Ruby's. They're great. Yeah. I love his, I love his hair funnel. Yes, the, like, <laughs> blonde hair funnel <laughs> thing. And the giant, like... The off-the-shoulder yet giant collars that are on all of his, like, onesie outfits. They're just so, they're just, they're so loud in in just such a fun way. They give, uh, they give uh, the capital citizens in Pan Am a run for their money. (laughs) Definitely. I thought of that at least a couple times while watching this movie. (laughs) Um, The uh, costumes were all by Jean-Paul Gaultier. Which really, I think, shows because they're attractive. Like, they're ridiculous, they're over the top, but they're also at least nice to look at. They're not garish. Well, they are garish at times, but it's right. fun garish. I right. think, too, they're, they're a surprising relief from what we saw as futuristic outfits in a lot of 90s movies. Like, everybody wasn't just wearing, like, 
silver and lime green aluminum foil everywhere, you know? Yeah. They yeah. are a lot different than that, more unique. Well, that's the thing about this movie that really stands out is this movie has a very distinct view of the future, a very distinct vision of it that didn't feel like the 90s. Like, it felt somewhere between... A lot of movies in the 90s were taking all their cues from Blade Runner, including, for some reason, Super Mario Brothers. I still don't understand that. (laughs) I will never understand why that movie had to feel like Blade Runner. (laughs) But this one had a... This one kind of felt like it and kind of didn't. Like, it was its own weird thing. Like, you, yeah, you had the same ultra-crowded cityscapes. And by the way, I wish this movie had been... I picture what this movie would have looked like in 3D as a kid. Because mm. really, most of those shots just cried out for it. Especially the scene where she takes the swan dive into the city and lands on his cab. Yeah. That scene would have looked amazing in 3D. Um, Definitely. Oh, we have the technology. It can be done. Yeah, if there's a movie that gets the po- the post-conversion treatment, I I would love to see this one get a post-conversion treatment, maybe for 2017? Yeah, the 20, that's true, the 20th anniversary. Which now I feel old, because that was, <laughs> that was the year, of course, of the uh, special editions of Star Wars. Oh, God, you're right. Which were out for that special. <sighs> Time keeps on slipping, huh? And you do realize that that itself was the 20th anniversary. I know, I know. Ugh. I'm feeling old, Amanda. You are old, so sorry to tell you. Yes, I am. <laughs> Me too, though. Yeah, we're old pooks. Yes, I turn 30 in five days. Oh, wow. So, yay. Happy yeah. early birthday! Oh, thank you. Happy early birthday. Yeah, but but yeah, I mean, the future of this movie really, it doesn't look like anything else that I'd seen, but it's very bright and colorful, and I think that's what makes it stand out, is because uh, uh, Amanda nailed it. It was very oppressive. Like, it was very oppressive and bleak, and in this movie, we see sunshine. We see oranges. We see blues. We see pretty things in the future we still see overgrown cityscapes but it's somewhere honestly you know what the future of this movie reminds me of more than any other futurama yeah yeah like this feels like futurama's future uh done in live action it really does remind me of that and that's a good especially especially with the hover cars and everything like that are flying between the buildings yes one of my favorite set pieces of the film is, like, the one where he's having lunch with uh, a guy who owns a hover restaurant, and he's just there. And, you know, they're at his apartment, and then all of a sudden you just, he's like, well, I gotta go, you know, got more orders to fulfill. And he uh, he just breaks off and flies away. It's like, hey, that's cool. I wish we had that. Right, like a whole new level of, you know, Chinese takeout or pizza <laughs> right. delivery, you know? <laughs> the restaurant comes to you. <laughs> yeah. That just looks cool. I mean, the uh, this movie was nominated for Best uh, Visual Effects uh, in 1997. It did lose, uh, but it lost to Titanic. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah try, try arguing against that one. I was going to, but... Um... Yeah, no, Titanic shuts that out. 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Can't do it. No. <laughs> Not gonna try. Reminder, by the way, that you are not allowed to argue against Titanic while we have our guest on. Of course not. No, I thought of that too, but but no, I agree. You cannot. You can't. But not just because it's my favorite movie, but because it's a great movie. Yeah, it really is a great movie. It really is a great movie, and it's it's one that um, I've got a lot of thoughts on. That's one we may get to in time. Yeah. Um, Al, you know, Al brought up set pieces. Um, I have to. I will just die if I don't bring this up because it's honestly, it's the smallest tiny detail, but it's my favorite part of the movie. Honestly, it's a prop and it is the cigarettes that they smoke in this movie that have the, the filter is like seven eighths of the cigarette. And then there's just a (laughs) a tiny little, little bit of cigarette at the end. And you see Bruce Willis with one at the beginning, he gets it out of a little machine um, that's in his apartment. And then you see uh, Gary Oldman's character um, with one later. And it's the same type of cigarette. And I just loved, I just loved that. It was so funny um, and such a small detail. I thought also a really realistic representation of what the future might be like. Because, I mean, people are never going to stop smoking cigarettes. doesn't matter how bad they are. Um, you know, everybody knows they're terrible for you, but the idea that like maybe there's been so many regulations against cigarettes yes. and people trying to not smoke them because they're so bad that we have this cigarette that's almost <laughs> nothing but filter, but people are still smoking them. You know, I just love that. That's almost cognizant of the uh, like the e-cigarette that we have now. Right. Yeah. <laughs> And and that's the kind of thing that I love about this movie is that it just has such world building. Yeah. Like, there's no real focus on, oh yeah, like, aliens exist in this movie. Everybody's aware that there are aliens. Everybody knows they're out there. But nobody really gapes and is just in awe of them. They're like, yeah, there are aliens around. Yeah, they're here. So what? We we (laughs) met them. We made contact. Big whoop. We've got interstellar travel, yeah. Yeah. It's glitchy, but what well, we got it. I mean, there's just, again, there's just such great world building in this movie. You know, you made a passing reference to Gary Oldman. I read a quote from him tonight giving his thoughts on this movie, which is just simply, oh God, no, I can't bear to even think about this movie. <laughs> Oldman is very not proud that he did this movie oh he is very ashamed of it um oh come on he has worse things to be ashamed of he was in tiptoes he does <laughs> he has much worse he only did this movie because uh Basson helped him get money to make his directorial debut hmm. but can i just point out that if that's what it looks like when you're not trying <laughs> wow i would say his character is fantastic like yeah he has the outrageous accent. Slide. Handles adjustable for easy carrying. Good for riders and lefties. Breaks down on four parts. Undetectable by x-ray. Ideal for quick, discreet interventions. A word on firepower. Titanium recharger. 3,000 round clip with burst of 3 to 300. With the replay button, another Zorg invention, it's even easier. Yeah. <laughs> During it's... the whole time we watched it, Austin was just like, his accent, though. <laughs> <laughs> his accent is hysterical. It's... It's, he was trying to do a Ross Perot impression. <laughs> and that I makes it, it so much better. <laughs> and that's super relevant to the 90s, so, mm-hmm. yeah. 
<laughs> Although it winds up sounding inadvertently like George W. Bush now. But it's that Texas accent. He's going for a Texas accent, and it's so out of place, especially because it's Gary Oldman doing it. Right. It, it is very out of place and, and an odd choice on his part. Um, I just love... I just... There's no scene better than when he is t- uh, when he is showing off those guns, <laughs> <laughs> like where he... he's just he's just rapid firing off all the uh, all the uh, features of it while he's firing off the gun. <laughs> yeah. Right. I I mean seriously, I hope someone sits him down at some point and tells him, you know, you should like feel the opposite of shame for this performance because I, I love Oldman to death. I love him in his serious parts. I love him when he's you know, at his most bone serious, but good God, if there was ever a time where you can just see an actor consuming the scenery on a molecular level, that's what he's doing in this movie as the villain, as the quote unquote, he's the human representation of the villain more or less, because he's working with the shadow that's going to come and destroy earth. And he's, he's just, he's just giving his all in this movie. And yeah, maybe this was a paycheck for him, but man, he's just so ridiculous. And I mean, honestly, this was a year before uh, Lost in Space. So seriously, man, mm. a movie which I did see recently, and uh, I don't think I've revisited it in many years. I think he probably has more to be shameful for in that movie than even Tiptoes. Yeah, <laughs> honestly, I. I don't know. It's been so long since I've seen Lost in Space. I probably am. I'm probably not qualified to talk about it. It's but it's uh it's something else. <laughs> it, it's I have, however, seen him as Commissioner Gordon much more recently. Ah, yes. No, he was good as that. Oh, he was awesome in that part. He was awesome in that part. Yeah. It it does definitely sadden me that he has such negative feelings towards this movie. I mean. He's just another, like Ruby Rod, he is such a ridiculous character. Um, This was something I caught this time when I watched the movie. I don't think I'd ever caught before. But his name is actually, I always just thought his name was Zorg. His name name is John Baptiste Emmanuel Zorg. Yes. And they actually (laughs) say that in the movie. And I'm just like, this is just fabulous. And he wears this plastic on the side of his head where it's like shaved and he has this very Justin Bieber forelock of hair. He's just awesome. I mean it's great. It's so out there. Yeah, and it's it's like okay, his name is part French, part alien and part Spanish with a deep <laughs> try saying that with a deep southern accent. <laughs> Which he somehow does. Jean Baptiste Emmanuel Zorg. <laughs> oh my god. I, I want to point out, by the way, that when this movie opened, there was a little bit of a backlash against it because it had been sold in all the trailers and in the posters as a really serious, god. you know, oh, this is going to be something that you're going to want to take seriously. Man, I'm glad it wasn't. Uh, that was a marketing <laughs> error on their mm-hmm. part, I think. <laughs> Weirdly enough, I think if it had been that film, I don't think it would have lasted because this is one that like, when I mentioned on Twitter, this is one of the strangest films I've ever seen, immediately I had, like, ten people go, oh my god, I love it so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, because, yeah, because, again, it's just such a 
it's just such a weird movie. The score is weird. Uh, it's got a, a techno score throughout. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. One of the things that we haven't touched on is uh, Ian Holm as the priest. Oh, who, he's just delightful. Yes. This was four years before Bilbo Baggins, for the record. Oh, I did not pick up that that was him. Oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Though, actually, it was a good many years after he did the BBC radio drama of uh, Lord of the Rings where he played Frodo. Ha! Nice. Yeah. But yeah, he... Yeah, it's it's Ian Holm from that. I love that he is kind of the straight man in the film, but even he's a little bit goofy. He's bumbling. Yes. Where's the robot to pat you on the back? For the engineer! Oh, are they children? Maybe... There you see now how all your so-called power counts for absolutely nothing. Uh, you get the scene where he has to sneak on the uh, spacecraft when they go to Flaston, and as they land, he like descends from the ceiling, all tangled in these tubes <laughs> and wires, and he's just like, "Oh, we're here." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Isn't he the one that's also uh, uh, when he has to when they have to play that little hiding hide and seek game in uh, Corbin's apartment? Uh, isn't he the one that like goes onto the bed? Yes, and it slides in, and then it comes out wrapped in plastic. He gets saran wrapped almost, <laughs> <laughs> and he's just spitting mad when he comes out. He's like gasping for air. <laughs> but he also has such wonderful interactions with Lilu, and you can see that he connects with her on a just this cool, strange level. He's a very dedicated character. Because he's what supposedly the only human other than his, um, the other priest that is like, uh, he's teaching that really knows about the fifth element and this whole deal with the, um, Mata Washans. Um, and he's very, uh, you know, he's taking his duty very seriously, uh, you know, when he goes to speak to the president and everything. So. I read something cool about that. Uh, you know, in that scene when the president tells him you've got 20 seconds, that's exactly how long Holmes speaks for. Huh. <laughs> nice. You have 20 seconds. Imagine for a moment that this thing is not anything that can be identified because it prefers not to be. Wherever there is life, it brings death. Because it is evil, absolute evil. One more reason to shoot first. Evil begets evil, Mr. President. Shooting will only make it stronger. But yeah, that goes along with that lived-in thing where, you know, you have... Like, it's established, you know, in the 1917 sequence that, you know, the aliens are going to come back and they left a message that's like, yeah, you have to... You have to just, uh, you know, carry forward our message and, um, you know, somebody, you know, so that somebody is here to receive us. And it's almost like, you know, in 300 years, an ancient order has arisen and been kept up, and it's kind of dwindled some since as people have kind of lost faith and left. And That's something I didn't pick up on, but that's a really good point. Yeah, I mean, it's just one of those subtle implied things that you just kind of, that's just, that's just there without calling attention to itself. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I definitely agree, and I don't think I like... um 
would have articulated it as well as you did. But now that you say it, that is pretty much what I assumed as well in his situation, you know, which makes him this like admirable character because you're like, oh, well, he stuck with it. Good for him. Yeah. It's like he knew. (laughs) He knew they were coming. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He believed. I mean, and and there's there's so many like great small details like that. Like, okay, when they're, okay, after uh, her, uh, Lilu's ship has been blown up and they have to clone her again, and there's that whole idea of uh, this, of the scientists that are looking over her DNA, and they keep referring to her as a he. Yeah. It's like Mr. Perfect. Uh, no. <laughs> but it's it's great because there is kind of that un, that okay there's an unspoken sexism that's going on there even though i pointed this out if you're able to look at the dna of somebody uh one of the first things you're going to be able to pick up on if you're paying even slight attention is their chromosomes especially since they do say uh that the dna is uh extremely similar to human dna only that there's much 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 more of it so, you know, we know that to be a fact for human DNA, so it would be in this case as well. But to me, that screams out, the more that I think about it, that screams out an intentional choice. That they're thinking, well, it's a warrior, it must be male, and not paying attention. Right, and, like they're, and also, I mean, just for the purpose of the movie, like, obviously, they're trying to, like, set us up for this, like, <gasps> moment. Like, oh, we all thought yeah. it was going to be a dude, and it's not. <laughs> it's this, like, sexy lady. Whoa. And also and also the fact that the arm that they put in there, I guess it's supposed to be like in heavy armor, but it looks yes. it does not look human. Right. It looks like one of the uh turtle aliens. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just love that whole turtle design because it's something weird that I'd never seen before. Yeah. yeah. Can we just take a second to uh praise practical effects yes so much of this movie is practical effects there's a little bit of cgi here and there a lot mostly in the cityscape sequences but yeah like most of the turtles that's all practical on that that's like going back to the like cigarette that i talked about earlier there's so many props mm-hmm. in this movie you know that are obviously that have been built that are tangible things that are just fabulous. You know, the guns that they use, um, it's it's all just wonderful. It, it, you, you really and truly can appreciate when actors are interacting with something versus what CGI has become. I mean, I think, I, I will argue that I think it's less about what effect, what style of effect you use and more about how you interact with them but it's that directors don't know how to direct interaction with effects anymore. Um, I think that's something that J.J. Abrams actually does know how to do, uh, big time. But very few directors seem to really know, or Christopher Nolan's another one that really knows how to direct his actors. Of course, Nolan likes practical mostly anyway himself, so... But, I mean, yeah, the, the practical effects in this movie really do stand out. The fact that the sets aren't CGI... Um, like the opera house. Yeah. That's not something that we're seeing in a computer, but a real tangible set. And 
We haven't gotten to the. Uh, we haven't talked about the whole diva scene, and that. I'm gonna say diva. <laughs> we gotta talk about the diva. That's another. That's another one I see a lot of people cosplaying. Uh, the people that have got the budgets, uh, cosplay as the diva because that is such a cool design. Yeah, I I must say, uh, what one of my favorite, um, whenever somebody does like a thing set in the future, one of my favorite tropes is it's kind of hard to explain it's like the futurama thing where they refer to sir mitzlock's uh baby got bag as classical music <laughs> yes it's that kind of thing it's like they're listening to opera it's like you get a sense that it's this thing that was made a long time ago but yeah it's kind of you know and it starts off like that and she has a you know really beautiful singing voice uh with a lot of control and uh and that and then it turns into like this kind of techno hip-hop thing and it's still it's still beautifully sung and beautifully performed and she has a lot of control well there's a reason a lot of that stuff at the uh we're like towards the end when it's getting really techno that's something that's not actually physically possible for a human voice to do. Really? Yeah. Wow. Are you sure? Are you sure of that? Uh, a lot of the notes were recorded, so when they when uh, the singer did the work, it was a lot of the notes were physically recorded, and then like note by note, and then combined in a computer for some of the uh, really strange stuff. Like remixed, I see. I was yeah. gonna say because I can remember at some point while watching this having that same thought that Al had, which is you know opera singers do have incredible control over their voice, um, but how how much control you would have to have to make those uh, pitch changes that she does? It's not physically possible. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh man, but that's <laughs> of course she is not human. Exactly. So. Right. Exactly. It may yeah. not be possible for a human. And that is that is a brilliant side touch. I mean, I mean that whole sequence is just in terms of the editing of that sequence, it is breathtakingly well edited. The yeah. inner cuts, the way that it's cut to the music, really the, yeah. the editing on this movie. And this was something that Amanda actually pointed out is uh, when we were watching the movie. Is there's a lot of like match cuts throughout the movie. Yeah, it's it's a really well edited film. Yeah, it's also a cut to, I forgot what sequence it's cut to, but it's like the bad guys doing something and not well. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like when they're getting the stones and Lilu is explaining what's going on, that they've been switched out. Yes. <laughs> That's another you know, nice Gary Oldman acting moment. Here. <laughs> yeah. And then you get that wonderful that whole not one, not two, not three, but four in that that accent, you know? You're like, yeah, you can count. <laughs> yeah. It, it is just such a it's such a great sequence and uh, there's just like I mean that's just it. This is a movie where I really and truly could sit there sequence by sequence and explain what i love about this movie i really could um and it's surprising to me because i think i would be more easy to do it at 32 
than I would be to do it at 13, which I did not expect, to be honest, when I rewatched this. Like, I, I, I'm really kind of surprised by how well this one holds up, for lack of a better word. I'll say this, it doesn't visually look like it was made 19 years ago. No. No, this could have been pretty recent. Yeah. The only thing that gives it away is there are vector graphics here and there. It's always weird to see vector graphics in a 90s movie because it's like, well, cinematography was pretty well standardized in terms of what we would expect to see. And, you know, film stock and film preservation have gotten to a certain point to which movies that were made in that era pretty much look like they could be made today. See Jurassic Park's re-release, which all three of us have seen as a prime example. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was one of our first casts. That's true. Jurassic Park 3D. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and that was so great. It really was. 3D on that was obscene. <sighs> it really, really was. Yeah, there was only one scene in that entire movie that kind of looked, that kind of, to me, looked like, okay, this was post-converted. But that was it. Yeah. And you can usually you spot that better in IMAX anyway. We saw it uh, at uh, the Breckenridge, which is our usual theater. I don't know. This movie, one thing that I have to point out is it's obvious that Luc Besson was a fan of uh, Friday, which is hilarious to me for some reason because he used two actors from friday in this movie uh really? yeah uh chris tucker and uh tiny lister who plays the president were both in friday <laughs> i really want to believe that isn't a coincidence i really want to believe that luke Besson was a fan of friday i believe it i believe it mm-hmm. that's another good character to talk about too um the president yeah it's funny to me because he's very like doesn't really know what's going on, it seems like. And people, like his advisors, and tell him things, and he's just like, yes, that, okay, whatever you say, we'll do that, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> he, he's very a much... comic relief for me, I think. Yeah, it's funny, because Lister's this big, imposing guy, but he does seem very clueless and uncertain in the movie. And it, it is funny. It is funny that you've got that idea of the president uh it should be pointed out by the way that this is another movie that has the sci-fi movie so black president rule (laughs) what is with that rule by the way that really did seem to be a pretty common rule in the 90s i don't know (laughs) hasn't happened yet darn it yeah i mean we have a black president but it's not sci-fi times fingers (laughs) fingers crossed for first contact in the next 12 months i know (laughs) If I want anybody to be in office during first contact, I want Obama to be in office. That would be cool. Yeah, it'd be pretty great. Uh, I would love to hear his thoughts on first contact. See what I mean when I say that we get into some weird tangents? <laughs> <laughs> I just, I don't know. I mean, again, there's just, there's so many great small things that I love his sidekick. I love the priest's sidekick. Um, I love him too. What did you say this that actor's name was? Lee Evans. Uh, Lee he, Evans. He fits well, too, with that. Because he also, like like Ian Holm, he's very, um, he's precious. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> You're just like, oh, you kind of feel bad for him because he's, like, well-meaning but ineffectual. Oh, it's, uh, it's for the Supreme... Yes. Uh, yes. Sorry, uh, I, uh, I, I didn't know your size, and I, uh, I found you this makeup box, okay? Just, uh, you just put it like that. Don't go. He's just kind of, he's just, they're trying. 
Mm-hmm. Evans, by the way, has shown up in a couple of pretty good movies. Uh, he was in Mouse Hunt, if anybody remembers Mouse Hunt. Oh, yeah, I remember that. That's a good, weird movie. And he was in uh, There's Something About Mary. Oh, okay. He was the uh, he was the character who was revealed as a, a fake Brit. The only thing I remember about Mas- Mouse Hunt, I saw it once. It was like one of DreamWorks' first movies. Yeah, it was one of their very first, yeah. But I think, I haven't seen it in a long time, but from what I remember of it, uh, it's like Ratatouille told from the other side. Yeah, more or yeah. less. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Oh, and that was another, that was another 97 movie. We should do a cast on the movies of 1997. Hmm. I think we've already done Yeah, that. we've already done one. <laughs> I'm glad we doubled back to do this movie, though, because... I just, I yeah. don't know, this movie is just so, it holds up so hard. Yeah, no, it it has not dated at all. Seriously, Amanda, we've been watching some hard movies lately, so thank you for giving us a good week. Oh, yeah. You're welcome. I, I, like I said, it's one of my personal favorites. I love it. Um, I get really mad at one of my very close friends who I like to watch movies with because he owns this movie. And I constantly request that we watch it, but he will not watch it with me because it was the first movie that he watched with his ex-boyfriend. And so oh. he's all, well, it reminds me of my ex-boyfriend. And I'm like, but it's such a great movie. I'm like, don't, don't let your ex-boyfriend ruin this fantastic movie. Let's watch it. <laughs> it's like, you got to get over that shit. Exactly. Like, <laughs> don't leave Lulu behind because your ex-boyfriend's an ass. Like, come on. <laughs> I, I can think of a few movies that I still love despite associations. Well, me too, me too. I have the in, I have the Inception script sitting on my shelf. I do too, actually. Um, <laughs> I have Wallace and Gromit: uh, Curse of the Were Rabbit still uh, sitting on my DVD shelf. There you go. So we watched that not that long ago, actually. Yeah, you were the one that spotted Mark Gatiss in that, actually. Yeah. You were the one that, yeah, that caught that Mycroft uh, Holmes is in that. Oh my god. Yeah. Really? I am spectacular at recognizing not very well-known faces and voices. Um, in this movie, actually, in The Fifth Element, I noticed one of the stewardesses, um, I think the one that Ruby Rod has his second yeah. time with, actually, I was like, I know her from somewhere. Oh, she was a prostitute in Interview with the Vampire. <laughs> <laughs> like you know, just bit parts in both wow. in both movies, but I was like, I know her face. Yeah, that is a superpower. It is. It is <laughs> really super- great with faces. <laughs> terrible with names. Oh, the irony yeah. of our marriage. <laughs> <laughs> we'll I'm see. If face- we make a perfect pair. We do. We're yin and yang. <laughs> You're face blind, but you've never forgotten a name in your life. Yep. We compliment each other. <laughs> that'll be that'll be useful when it comes time to uh what's her name gonna be oh the baby yeah what's her name Shh. baylor baylor no feel free to it's, edit that it's, part it's, out it's it's, it's, lola. Oh, it's lola lola bunny lola bunny <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh that movie's turning 20 this year by the way we're gonna get to do that on nostalgia uh, later this year. I'd say let's do a cast diet, but we already did. That's the problem that we're starting to come to, is we're starting to come to topics we have hit on. Um, <laughs> although, by the way, seriously though, Amanda, keep in mind, uh, 
the week, both the week before this and the week after this, we're doing uh, Christian films. So seriously, oh, that that'll be, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, oh boy, uh, yeah, yeah. I just finished the novelization today of the movie that we just watched. Hate. See, I got to live in it twice. At the very least, we can agree that this movie is just. I don't know. It still works for me. Stellar. It still works. I, it's, it's a still... lot of fun. It makes me laugh a lot, and mm-hmm. I don't. I don't laugh at it. You know, I laugh with the movie. Yeah. Yeah. You're. You're. It's. You're spending two hours in that universe, and just enjoying the ride. Mm-hmm. And for what's worth, it's a shame that we never did go back to that universe. I think there was talk at one time of maybe doing a sequel, but yeah, that's okay. Let this be its one, our one trip into it, because we got enough. We got enough for a trilogy. I don't know. I, I wonder how this movie would be received if it was to be re- released today. I, I wonder honestly. I, I think people might be a little bit more sharply negative towards it today. I kind of suspect. Maybe. I, I don't know. But but then again, that's probably because I want. That's probably because I watched two sci-fi movies from last year that people really did not like. That I thought were quite a bit better than their opinions. Uh, uh, Ch- Chappie and uh, Jupiter Ascending, both of which I have yet to see. Really yeah, both str- of which did not get uh, very positive feedback on. Both of which I very much enjoyed. Chappie's really good, actually. Like uh, Chappie Ch- was actually fabulous and um i think while jupiter ascending was a fun movie chappie was a very serious uh Mm -hmm. emotional movie that i actually thought had some real uh credibility to it um i thought it was award worthy honestly i I think that the script really didn't get enough credit because it's a very smart script it's a script about serious ideas the ideas of how do we confront mortality how do we you know how do children react to the realization that their parents are imperfect and flawed beings very serious ideas in uh, you know in what seems like a light movie but really i mean there's some real there's some real strength to it i highly recommend it uh i i think it's i think it's a movie that in 20 years will be viewed differently frankly yeah, uh, it's 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 time isn't now, but I just I'm glad we watched this one. I had fun watching it um, with uh, our guest tonight because I, I do watch most movies with her. Um, Amanda, are there any other movies that you would recommend off the top of your head recently that you've seen that you want to point people to? Oh, that I've seen recently, or just that are on your mind? On because we don't get uh, we don't get an opportunity to hear your thoughts very often oh um well we just i don't you may have mentioned this somewhere um in a recording somewhere recently but you know we just saw the latest installment of bbc sherlock and Mm. last time i was on that's what we discussed we discussed sherlock so i have to continue to say it's so awesome and it's so great and if you haven't seen it you should watch every minute of it twice at least twice um, so we saw the latest installment of that in theaters recently, and that was just fantastic and wonderful. And I don't want to say too much about it because I wouldn't want to give anything about it away. 
I'm kind of jealous of that, actually, <laughs> that you got to see it in theater. And we got to see it with a good audience, too. Yeah. Oh, good. It was a packed house, actually. It was at least 100 people. And uh, it, and they responded to it. They laughed yeah. at it. That's one of the things that, uh, you know, we talk a lot about how the fact that uh, uh, modern TV is beginning to kind of take the role of uh, that movies used to. And the only problem with TV is that it's a very isolated medium. So the opportunity to be able to watch that kind of thing with a crowd is at the same time interesting and great. It's a special experience, um, especially for a show like that, because it does have a really strong fandom to it. Um, yeah. You know, everyone in the audience is all like talking about the actors and all these minute details about the a show. A couple people were dressed up. or Right. A couple uh. people had uh, the deerstalker hats. Um, they had, a, at the beginning, um, before the show actually started, they had this whole reel of, you know, little factoids and trivia questions about the actors, about the production of the show, the show itself, um, about, you know, the original Sherlock Holmes. And it was really kind of fun to sit there and listen to the audience, you know, everyone yelling out their answers and then talking amongst themselves about their geek knowledge. And uh, it was it was great. Yeah. Nice. It, it was. I mean, and uh, Sherlock, awesome as ever. Uh, as I mentioned on that cast, and as I'll mention again, lifelong Sherlock Holmes buff. Really enjoyed getting to see this take on the uh, characters and uh, the universe. Uh, again, not saying too much. Um, just, just seek it out. Just seek out the new episode. It's not hard to find. Um, I mean, it aired on PBS after all. We, uh, we did also watch Jessica Jones recently, uh, talking about the merger point of TV and movies. I still have yet to see Beyond the first episode. I need to get on that. Loved it. Thought it was great. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah. What, what I have seen, I just love that it's, it's so gritty. Yes. Very. And it gets grittier as it goes on. The fact that it's, it's, it's still a shared universe uh with the films and other tv shows but uh at the same time you know it can be on a different level from those that's that's the fun of it that's the fun of it so yeah mm -hmm. uh, yeah yeah oh we could go on for hours <laughs> oh wait one more thing yes go go right the ahead. stupid ugly aliens because i don't know what kind they're what mangalores Mangalores, that they're the stupid, <laughs> ugly aliens. They're so gross, and I love them. <laughs> they're so wonderfully and just, stupid. Yeah, just the uh, the uh, oh yeah, we bought all these guns, and uh, you know he walks away. He's like saying it's okay, you know they didn't uh, bother to ask what the little red button does. <laughs> and then you see them. He's like, hmm, wonder what. Literally all, huh? Wonder what this does. Push. Boom. <laughs> Such a great joke. And Oldman just sells it because he's just so casual about it. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because that was saying that that's, you brought That's the last stuff. thing. I think the only thing we didn't quite get in there that uh, is yeah. important to me. <laughs> yeah. That was great. Well, we, all, we usually begin by thanking our patrons, so let's do it directly this time. 
Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, you're so welcome. I think it's a worthy cause, and I enjoy listening to y'all. I think y'all do a great job, um, and I know that it makes both of you happy, and, and you enjoy it a lot, so that's the most important thing, especially because I kind of love my husband a lot, and when he's happy, it kind of makes me happy or whatever, so <laughs> well, you you're <laughs> welcome. <laughs> you're sweet. But, uh, yes, thanks to Amanda, thanks to... Bridget and Nathan. Nathan, I hope uh, I hope you enjoyed uh, your the last cast because believe me, believe me, it was work. Uh, yeah, so it was. I actually spent a good twenty minutes uh, warning my mother against this movie. Yeah, <laughs> or not this movie, but uh, against that movie, uh, Heart of the Country. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You'll all know by this time what what it is, but yeah, thanks, Nathan. Thanks a lot. Um, <laughs> thanks to Sean from No Totally. Thanks to Sheila. And thanks to Daisy. We love y'all's support. Please keep it up. We love having you guys on our team. Thanks, yes. guys. You can support us, too. Uh, we are almost to our uh, website goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll have a lot of things under one roof, and that will be great for y'all. It'll be great for us. You can do that at, like, even a little bit helps. We'll be restructuring our reward tier slightly, ever so slightly, pretty soon here. But yeah, you can do that at patreon.com slash thefilmer. Next, of course, I think we've already mentioned is, uh, exploitation. We're taking... Ex... Yes. Exploitation. We're taking a look at the Christian exploitation genre. We're going to be focusing on two movies in particular. We've already covered a Christian romance movie, so we're going to cover a uh, Christian apocalyptic movie, and we're going to cover a Christian uh, preaching movie, a proselytizing movie. Woohoo! Yay. It's fun to be us. And we will yes. have a special guest on that episode. Yes, we will have we will have Thomas, who is also who is also a listener. And he also does his own stuff, like his own, uh, I believe he has a YouTube show. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, you can find us at uh, the feed at thefilmroom.podbean.com. Uh, that is the source of the cast. And you can find us the day after we post at iTunes. And please rate and review us on iTunes, because that does bump up our search results a bit. Uh, so when you search the film room... On iTunes, uh, it'll be one of the first results instead of like the fifth, or actually, I think it's even further down than that. But yeah, you can yeah you can help us out that way. Please rate and review. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com/slash/thefilmroom. Uh, like us there. Uh, we have about five hundred fifty, I think, still. It's steadily climbing. I see. Yeah, that pops up on my little on my little notification feed all the time that we've got new likes yeah so it's that's very satisfying <laughs> so thank you keep them coming see twitter you can find the cast twitter at film room cast our special guest uh amanda is at a e l i shin i don't tweet much but uh yeah i have one of those <laughs> but you do tweet sometimes and that's what that's counts. right <laughs> So yeah, you can follow her there, and you can follow Austin at, at untitled user, and you can follow me at primitive man prd. 
You can email us at filmroompodcast at gmail.com. Please do. Yeah, and you can, we just recently started up Nostalgia again. We are looking at 1996, which is extremely fun year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let me tell you. There's a lot of weird movies in that year. Yeah, a lot of good ones. And we have, of course, with this past one, we, uh, you know, there's one movie that bled over uh, that we just, we skipped over that week and just did a full cast on it. That was Toy Story. This one will also be in the fall. We won't tell you what it is, Mm -hmm. but it's one we're both fond of. But yeah, look forward to that. Uh, But in the meantime, we'll be covering week by week, 1996. And you can follow us there with our revamped nostalgia, uh, thefilmroomlobby.wordpress.com. Come on, y'all. We just covered a Wayans Brothers movie. Aren't you interested in what we had to say about that? It was uh, Don't Be a Menace, actually. We also covered a monkey movie. Yes, we covered a monkey movie. Come on, monkeys. So... (laughs) <laughs> so yes get, um, also I just posted a, a lengthy uh, piece on my thoughts on the second X-Files movie and come on read that that's interesting yeah some fun to it so ain't too proud to beg <laughs> uh, we asked this with all the guests but uh, is there anything specific that uh, you want to plug Amanda oh I should have I should have got this through um <laughs> no no, not really. <laughs> and that's okay. Just want to throw that out there. <laughs> next time, <laughs> next case. time I'll be prepared. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that sounds great because we do want to have you back. Um, oh, absolutely. I, I like and I like hanging out with you a little bit, just just a smidgen. Of course, thank as soon you as, for having me. Of course, as soon as I end this call, I'm going to go and talk to you some more <laughs> because I live with you. Yeah, but. But I rarely get the chance, so yeah. It's very good to hear from Al. <laughs> yeah. Well, Same. <laughs> but And again, thank you for an awesome choice that made for a great cast, Amanda. Uh, thank y'all. I'm going to continue to mention you. You're going to continue to come up. And of course, don't think that I'm not going to come down there in the summer. Uh, yeah, I'm, I am awaiting the visit. <laughs> Yeah, I do. I do have a well-paying, a decent-paying job now, so I can afford Means it. Means you get to do things, yay! <laughs> yes, doing things is awesome. Everything is cool when you get to do things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you are listening to Radio Cosmos, and it is now five p.m. Time to join Ruby Rod and Corbin Dallas. Lucky winner of the Gemini Croquette Contest. Coming at you live from Boston. Paradise! Ruby Rodgers deserves for two hours with Nucky Carbon and the manager of the Super Green Hotel. And Miss Gemini Croquette in person at $8,000 Luxus here to enjoy the privilege of the unique concert of Miss Clavala Guna! Stone down. Yeah. To who? And here we have Roy Von Baker, King of Laser Ball, and here the Emperor of Kodajaset. His lovely daughter, I love to see. 
Commercial! Commercial! Break for 30 seconds. 